Today's show is sponsored by Spot from NetApp, the cloud automation platform that makes it easy to deliver continuously optimized infrastructure at the lowest possible cost. Spot helps customers get the most out of their cloud investments by automating cloud infrastructure to ensure performance, reduce complexity, and optimize cost. Their machine learning and automation scale to exactly meet application needs using the most efficient mix of instances and pricing models, eliminating the risks of over-provisioning and cloud waste. Best of all, their software works with leading cloud platforms, services, and tools so that you can simplify and automate your cloud infrastructure wherever your workloads and applications run and however you run them. Discover how leading companies from cloud native startups to global enterprises are automating, simplifying, and optimizing their cloud infrastructure with Spot by NetApp. Check them out at spot.io slash cloudcast, where you can find more information, quest a demo, or even start a free trial. That's spot.io slash cloudcast. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hope everybody is doing well as we continue to move through July, early part of July. And uh, again, let's jump right into Cloud News of the Week. There's actually, you know, a decent amount of things out there. And, and I want to touch on one thing before we really dive into Cloud News of the Week. Uh, on the last show, we talked about uh, the AWS InfiniDash announcement. Um, if you did listen to the entire show, you saw towards the end, we talked about that uh, that's just sort of a hoax that had been floating around, a joke that had been floating around the inter- interwebs for about a week or so. I think it's 15 minutes of fame is uh, now sort of petering out. Um, people are now focused on this new hack, which is big, and everybody's now a software supply chain expert. But um, you know, apologize if uh, if we threw anybody by that one. Uh, I know there's some folks who felt like uh, maybe they weren't in on the joke, they didn't heard about it, and they felt sort of bad, like uh, you know they should have known what was going on. So we apologize if, uh, if that threw anybody. We were just having some fun with it. Uh, it was sort of a you know an interesting internet meme for a few days. It was an interesting. Um, imposter syndrome sort of a case study. I think maybe we'll dive back into that uh, maybe in a month or so and, and really kind of dive into it and our fascination with always having to know the latest and greatest about every new technology, whether it's relevant to us or not. But uh, again, if uh, if we threw you, we apologize for that. We didn't mean to upset anybody. Let's get right to Cloud News of the Week. There's a couple of interesting things out there. Um, we did mention uh, the real GitHub Copilot announcement that came out last week, the uh, AI assistant uh, to assist with uh, writing code, uh, the work they had done with um, with OpenAI and the work there. Uh, there's a nice write-up we'll put in the cloud uh, news of the week, the notes, um, by somebody who you know spent some time with uh, Copilot over the weekend, uh, their experience with it, kind of um, you know how well it works with different languages, different development patterns, and so forth. So there's some nice stuff in there, some both... Um, praise as well as suggestions on how it can improve. So that's a nice sort of early uh, preview for those uh, who may have had a chance to, to to take a look at it or if you're sort of waiting to see if uh, it's something you can get early access to early beta. Uh, a couple of other things I know we've talked in the past uh, about the United States Department of Defense, uh, what's called the JEDI contract. So the uh, US DOD was trying to create a huge uh, public cloud environment or, uh, well, I shouldn't say public, uh, cloud environment for themselves based on one of the major cloud providers. Uh, this was going on last year and the year before, huge, huge bidding. It was supposed to be about $10 billion over 10 years. Uh, originally was awarded to AWS, and then it was uh, pulled back from AWS due to some complaints. Um, there were some political overtones potentially there. Then at some point it was awarded to Azure, and now the DOD has canceled that contract. Apparently too much uh, kind of back and forth, too much, um, I don't know, 
bad blood, if you will, maybe. Uh, and they're going to issue a new multi-cloud uh, contract. So same sort of requirements, probably updated here a couple of years um, you know, with what's going on, but they've now decided that instead of uh, having to put up with, you know, all the pushback that goes on with government contracting around only one cloud, uh, they're now going to spread this out over a couple of clouds. So interesting, you will probably get lots and lots of takes on how the U.S. government is embracing multi-cloud and people will push back on that. But just something to keep an eye on in terms of if you are in the uh, in the government DOD space or if you're just kind of following along to see, you know, where the big trends are going since the U.S. DOD is one of the largest quote-unquote, customers or spenders in the world. Uh, And lastly, a couple of news and notes coming out of Intel. Uh, Pat Gelsinger, new CEO, uh, former uh, Intel, you know, sort of hero engineer, come back as as CEO, really making his mark here in the first 100 days. A couple of announcements. Um, He is reorganizing, uh, making some big reorganization. So I'm not going to go through the entire reorg. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, But one big point was the data center group has now been reorganized into the data center and AI group. So if you followed Pat's sort of initial big uh, presentation of where he wanted to go with Intel, his vision for Intel, he's really reorganizing around those things, been doing that over the last 100 days or so, both in terms of partnerships, reorganization, bringing in some new people from outside of Intel to run some of these new areas. So interesting to watch where that's going. Obviously, Intel, a huge, huge player in not only cloud, but also edge and, and lots of other uh, you know computing types of devices. And then finally, uh, Intel and Apple are going to be some of the first uh, early customers uh, working with TSMC on their new three nanometer chipset. So um, pretty interesting to see. Uh, apparently, Intel is going to be getting a larger uh, quantity allocated to them than for Apple. So really interesting to see um, where Intel's going, uh, especially as a partner with folks like TSMC. Uh, they've got work going on in three nanometer, five nanometer, seven nanometer, uh, lots of different dates associated with that. But if you are if you like to follow the, the hardware at the chip set world. Uh, Another article around Intel that's worth taking a look at. I know there's a lot of disruption happening in that space, whether it's with ARM or with Intel or with companies like AWS and Apple building their own chipsets and so forth. So definitely something to keep an eye on if you are in that space or if you just kind of want to follow, you know, where the processor wars, where the processor innovation is happening. So with that, we're going to wrap up kind of a long cloud news of the week. We have a really interesting guest. We're going to talk about kind of uh, not technology as much, but how to become more proficient at communicating in technology, communicating technology, communicating around STEM uh, topics and so forth. So really excited to get after that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring analytics platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. Be proactive with your monitoring strategy and catch issues before your clients are impacted. Start managing the overall health of your environment with a free Datadog trial. Go to datadog.com cloudcast for the free trial. That's datadog.com cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Okta the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's identity cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof, with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. 
Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O-K-T-A.com. And we're back. And, uh, you know, Aaron, we get into the middle of the year, and uh, not only do, do folks start to go on uh, on vacations, but they, they have a little more time, a little more time to ponder some things. And and this is the time of the year when we like to, to dive into some things that really, I think, you know, maybe more than just purely, uh, you know, feeding their brains with technology helps them helps them think a little bit, helps them think about where they want to go next and, and kind of improve themselves. So excited about today's show, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something else, too, and we've talked about it once or twice on the show before, but we tend to usually around the end of the year and around the middle of the year, we kind of step back and, and kind of pause a little bit and kind of figure out where do we want to go for the next couple months with the show. And it's always nice to kind of, this is one of those, we step back and kind of go, okay, let's step outside of tech for just a second as well. Yeah. So very excited to have a new friend of the show, uh, Neil Thompson. Welcome to the show. We're excited to, to kind of dive in, uh, you know, founder and creator of, of Teach the Geeks to Speak. And uh, we're excited to, to talk to you today about how to make sure that uh, all of us techies can communicate as, as best we can. So welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me. Um, we're going to, we're going to talk about something, you know, if anybody's been listening to the show recently, we've been asking a lot of the, the guests, uh, you know, some founders and other things like what are the, what are some skills or what are some lessons they learned in? And over and over, we keep hearing, boy, I wish I had been better at communicating, right? New communicating ideas, communicating to, to help people change. And, and this is really your specialty. But before we dive into that, give us a little bit of your background and kind of what got you focused in this space. I got focused in this space out of necessity. Yeah. I was working as an engineer in medical devices, and I thought that that was going to be my job just as an engineer, but I was informed a few months after starting that I was going to be a project lead. And what that meant is the company that I was working for was too cheap to hire project managers, so they pushed that responsibility on the engineers. <laughs> so one, one of the responsibilities I had was giving project updates in front of senior management on a monthly basis. And we're talking CEO, CMO, VP of R&D, all those you know people with corner offices. And those first few presentations that I did were absolutely horrendous. I did not know that it was possible to sweat out of all those orifices <laughs> on, in, in my body. It was, <laughs> it was, it was pretty gross. The, the dry cleaning bills were ridiculous. But the, I, I knew I had to get better at it over time because, the, as I mentioned, those first few presentations were really bad. I also noticed that the, a lot of the other engineers weren't all that much better at it than I was. And I think the, the common denominator for all of us is we have all this technical expertise, but we weren't the best at disseminating it in front of people that were outside our areas of expertise. So oftentimes, at least for me, I'd get questions after the presentation that I thought I had answered during the presentation, but because I didn't put it in such a way that these people could understand, I was getting these questions. So essentially I wasted my time in putting the presentation together. I wasted their time. It's just a waste of time altogether. So I, I got a lot better at it over time because, frankly, I didn't want to look like a fool every time I had to present in front of these people. And as I mentioned, the CEO was in the, was in the audience. And I did get a lot better at it over time. And I took everything that I learned in becoming more effective at public speaking, and I turned it into a course that's geared towards people like myself, people that work in the STEM fields, you know, engineers, scientists, those types. And I called it Teach the Geek to Speak. That's nice. great. That's great. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll share a little story before Aaron jumps in. One of my first jobs, I had to do same thing as you did, except it was a little tiny audience. It wasn't anybody famous, no C-level people. I got so nervous. My mouth got so dry. I literally got so cotton mouth. 
I, I like I could feel my body tensing up. Like I'm like I'm not gonna be able to get words out, and I literally had to walk out of the room, go find water somewhere, and the audience had to be sitting there going, "What happened to this guy? Did he die off?" So yeah, what what you experienced is is totally uh, I can totally relate to it. I'm I'm excited to to talk to you more about this. Oh wow! I don't know. If it was never that bad for me that I walked off the stage, but I was just I, all the all the liquid for me was coming out my body. It wasn't necessarily in my mouth. But. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'll share one a little bit like that as well. So, um, you know, longtime listeners know my career. I started out of college at IBM, and um, I this a little bit of the same, right? What we had to do was we would do propo- work proposals for projects that we were outsourced by the company to. We would present them, and then they would approve them. And so, this was basically proposing the work you wanted to do and go in front of the board and they would kind of judge you, if you will, of like, okay, now you can go do your work because we're going to pay for it. And that was, yeah, very painful because they did make the engineer do the presentation and it was to all of the executives. And so here I was, yeah, fresh out of college doing those kinds of things. And I, I admit though, something they did that was really nice they sent me to presentation classes uh, because of that. Well, that was that they. I guess they had the foresight, knowing that. I mean, a lot of us engineers in school, where that's not really the the focus of it, is more building up your technical skill and and anything that comes after that. I guess the soft skills like communication is not really something that they really focus on in school. And a lot of us have to kind of learn it on the fly when we start those those first few jobs. Absolutely. Let, let's start talking about, about the basics around this. So, you know, we're going to use the term geek. Uh, hopefully folks don't get offended. You know, it's anybody who's, like you said, in the STEM field, technical. Like, where do you, where do you find um, that, you know, kind of folks with this background, folks with this skill set, where do you find they feel comfortable communicating? What, you know, what mechanism, what modes? And then where do you find, at least initially, they feel least comfortable communicating in an area where, where you try and help them? Well, the least compl- the least comfortable I know is impromptu. A lot of uh, engineer types we like to be prepared, so we want to know what the, the obviously what the subject matter is, and we want to be well versed in it before we feel comfortable speaking about it. But oftentimes, even in just walking the halls, you might get, come across a, an executive who might ask you about what you're doing, and even. In those situations, you might be uncomfortable because you didn't prepare for that. You, but you obviously, if a CEO asks you a question, you better answer. So it's it's really important that the work that I do with engineers is making them more comfortable talking about what their what their expertise is of the work that they're doing at the company in an impromptu way, as opposed to ways in which it's more prepared, like the presentations I used to have to give. Yeah, no, it makes makes a ton of sense. I, I you know one of the little tips I tell people all the time um, is. You know, you may not be a, a great speaker. You may not always feel comfortable speaking in front of a crowd. But but one thing you can do, and again, this can sort of, especially if you're like introverted, make one or two slides. What are you working on at all time? Do you have one or two slides? And the reason I mention that is is not that you become you know a slide making expert. Is that um, you know stories and and what you do are you know historically you know over mankind's time. Um, we learn by sharing things, and and slides are one of those things that somebody can put in their presentation. They can forward to somebody else. So, you know, always have that available as well. And that's great that you highlighted. Um, and another tip is, uh, you know, kind of just have have your what you're working on ready to go all the time. You know, it's funny you mentioned stories, Brian, because I'm a big believer in them now. 
I certainly wasn't when I first started giving presentations. And I think a lot of engineers kind of get away from stories for especially more technical presentations because they think it's inappropriate. But in it, when you were a child and perhaps your mom or your dad read you a bedtime story and I'm sure you loved it, but it seems like as we get older, we move away from that. And as I mentioned, for technical presentations, you think perhaps it's, it's not the right place. But especially if you're talking to people that are outside of your field of expertise, it's a great way to keep them engaged in what you're talking about, whatever your technical expertise in, couch it in a story and you're way more likely to have them listen to what you have to say. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Yep. And I'll add this too. So, you know, kind of another tip, if you will, or a key phrase, if you will, that's always kind of stuck with me is um, communication is what the listener does. I mean, to your point earlier of you may have given a presentation and then they ask you a, a question about something you just presented well, they obviously didn't absorb that like you wanted it to. So sometimes it is presenting in a way that you know they're going to absorb it differently. And and going back to like engineer types or executive types, you want to communicate that in the way in which they're going to absorb it. Um, and, and it kind of goes to, you know, oftentimes – we more technical folks will focus on the technical skills and we'll focus on this super early in our career. But then later on, we kind of open up to this broader set of communication skills. Um, and maybe it's just because we feel like we need to over-prepare or we, that's our comfort zone. Um, and then we need to grow and we find this almost like a hindrance and, oh, okay, I need to go solve this problem. And it the technical mindset of like, okay, find a problem, fix a problem. Do you find this to be a common pattern? And if so, do you make any recommendations of, of how to alleviate that? Yeah, you know, it'd be it'd be great if early on in people's engineering careers they saw the benefit of becoming better communicators because oftentimes we come to it like I did out of necessity, or even in the case of some other engineer got the promotion and pay raise you wanted because they just were better at communicating than you were. I mean, j just because you're the, the best technical expert in your, in whatever you do at the company, doesn't mean you're going to get those, you know, those pay raises and promotions. You want adept at communicating what you do to people that have the decision-making power to affect your career. Well, then you likely are just going to stay where you are. Yeah, I think another thing that I find, and, and, and this sort of plays on what Aaron was talking about, but it you know it very much plays on, on what you mentioned, Neil, is I think sometimes we forget, um, you know, as, as engineers especially, that somebody invited us to, to come present to them or we were told we needed to give an update, and we think that the, 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 the thing that we're there to do is to wow everybody with our knowledge, right? We're there as an expert. And, and I think sometimes we forget that, that, yes, that's part of what you're there to do. You're, you, know, you have an expertise, you're giving an update, or you're trying to sell an idea. But the other thing that we have to remember is that you know, the people that are in the room may not always be the final decision makers. They may be sort of intermediary people. And you have to be as much helping them to, to convey the story. Like They have to understand it, and then they have to be able to turn around and, and put it in their words, or they have to be able to share it back. Do, do you find that you have to spend a little bit of time helping people understand that sometimes it's there's an immediate audience and sometimes there's sort of an intermediate audience that you, you know, it's you're both storytelling, but you're also helping them learn so they can pass it on? Absolutely. I mean, the number one rule, at least in my opinion, of public speaking is know your audience. When I first had to give those presentations in front of senior management, I wasn't taking their deeds or wants into account at all. 
I was just slapping some stuff on slides, getting up there, reading them right off the, the computer screen and trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. But I realized that wasn't the best way to, to go about things. And it really, the that realization came when that project that I was brought into one of the companies that I was working at got canceled. And, you know, th this happened over 10 years ago. And I, I firmly believe that if I was better at communicating the, the importance of the project and, and how it could benefit the company, maybe I could have saved it. But I was just too, I, I just, I was too, I wasn't concerned with that at the time. But I certainly got concerned with it after the fact. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and and no, that's a great, it's a great tip, uh, without a doubt. And and along those those lines or that theme, what are some other tips, tricks, and and ways that we can get better at communication? And also, I'll I'll add this because we have been primarily about speaking. Um, what about other modes of communication? Right, like there's. There is written, there's oral, there's storytelling, there's influence. Like, tell us a little bit about how you consider the mode as well as the audience. Well, I think in any of those modes that you mentioned, knowing your audience is, is key. You're not going to write the same way for the CEO than you're going to write for a fellow engineer. The, the engineer is likely going to know the technical jargon that you, that you all use on a, on a daily basis. So you can include that in any of your communications. But with the CEO, he may not know, or she may not know those technical jargon. So it, it, in, in that instance, perhaps it's best to use analogies that they would understand to, to explain what you're trying to get across. So they actually, you know, take in whatever you, you have to, whatever you're trying to, you're, whatever you're trying to convey. A, a tip that I have in becoming more effective in just in communications, specifically when it comes to making presentations, is sticking to time. I've, I've there's been so many meetings and you know conferences that I've attended where there was an allotted time and people just didn't pay attention to it. They say they were given 15 minutes, they go over, and when you go over, you then throw off the agenda. You know when you're in a, a meeting at at work and, and you're presenting, you want to stay within time because you know time's well, time's money, and then people are busy. So you know you don't want the the meeting to go over because then if that happens, then that's taking time away from the more I guess revenue generating activities that you're doing for the company. So my tip when it comes to keeping the time is, especially if you're giving presentations, is to practice your presentation so that you finish a little before. So if, let's say you have 15 minutes, practice so that you finish in 14 minutes because if you have to, if there's any sort of ad libbing that you're doing during the actual presentation, you have a minute buffer to play with. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out a, a, a tip, uh, just kind of building on that. Um, I think you also, you know, again, some of, some of these things keep coming back to the same thing. You know, you mentioned knowing your audience. Um, I find, like, if I'm presenting to, to engineers, they tend to, number one, they tend to more or less show up on time. They don't care a whole lot about, uh, you know, doing introductions and people kind of know each other. And so to your point, like, you may have a 15-minute slot and you could do 14 minutes. Um, but if, for example, you have to present to, like, an executive staff, it's not unusual that, number one, um, folks will show up five minutes late, eight minutes late. So you kind of have to go, okay, I know we're not going to get the full amount of time. People will show up late and we'll kind of, you know, we'll wait until somebody shows up. The other thing is, um, you know, a lot of times people will will build a presentation and they'll, they'll say, well, um, you know, I'm going to kind of build up to what I'm getting to. And that works great for certain audiences, but there's plenty of times I've seen where you'll talk to an executive staff and you're literally not getting past that first slide. 
And so, you know, knowing that audience of like, this one might not get past the first thing, put your best, put your best foot forward. Like don't, you know, don't wait till the end, uh, put, put the best one you got. And again, that doesn't work for every audience, but you got to know, uh, like you said, you got to know what are they going to give? What are they going to take? Where are they going to stop you? Um, and, and plan for those things and prepare for them. Well, and I'll, I'll add uh, a little bit onto that as well. I've, I've presented to many high level execs before and, you know, there'll be times it's, <clears throat> you get a half hour slotted originally and then the day of they're like, oh, it's down to 15 minutes and then they're five minutes late and they have to go five minutes early to their next meeting. And yeah, sometimes you've prepared a whole bunch of slides and you don't, you won't even get to the slides, yeah. um, more or less the first slide. And so, you know, I would add a, you know, the bluff, the bottom line up front kind of thing. If you have one minute or two minutes or five minutes especially with executives, get to that immediate point and put it in a more business. A lot of us, again, techies, we want to put it in a technical standpoint of like, hey, we want to do this because it's a superior technology or or something like that. They don't think like that. All they think about is in business terms and, and how is this going to affect the business? How am I going to save money? How am I going to go faster? Um, and having that succinct, almost like, one to two sentence summary in case you never even get to the presentation i found helpful as well yeah absolutely i agree with both of you so one one tactic that i used to great effect when i was putting my presentations together once I, I realized the importance of them anyway was when it comes to the the executives anyway oftentimes they're really busy so you're not going to be able to get a meeting with them but if you go to their admins and you ask them but what kind of info? This is the I'm giving a presentation on a project up a project update. What type of information do they want to to learn about for them to you know pay attention to the presentation? And oftentimes these admins will know because they're, they're the right hand person to this executive, so they know them really well. So to make sure that you have that information at the ready when it comes to the presentation has been has been really helpful to me and and, and certainly can be to others. Yeah. No. Yep. If, if yeah. If, if if at this point in your career you haven't learned that that the executive admins hold the keys to the castle, that's that that's a, as an important a lesson as you can you can probably learn. Uh, they know the schedules. They know what they like. They know what they don't like. Hey, Neil, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, Aaron and I. Uh, you know, we'll have people from time to time tell us like, hey, you know, you guys are you guys are pretty good at this interview stuff. And, and we have to remind people like, look, we've done this for 10 years. Like it's taken us 500 reps. It's taken us a lot of hours. W- what are some ways that you find that people um, can get practice, right? Um, uh, you know, like every anything we do, you need some practice to get good. You need some feedback. You need You need to fail a little bit. Like what have you found some ways to help people? And then, you know, as they're going along, like, what are some ways to to measure if you're getting any better? Like, is there, you know, do, do you think of, the, you know, being better as something you can measure, or is it just a feeling? Give us a sense of how do you think about those things. Oh, sure. So for a number of years, I was a member of Toastmasters, and so for the, those of you that don't know what what that is, it's an international organization whose main goal is to help people improve in their public speaking. They have chapters all over the world, and no matter where I was living at the time, I joined a Toastmasters group. It's an excellent forum to practice your public speaking and to get feedback from others. One thing that I would would caution about feedback, though, is just because someone says it doesn't mean you have to implement it. Because I know that, for at least for me, I'm sure for others, at Toastmasters meetings, you may very well get feedback that's contradictory. You'll have one person that says, I really liked your eye contact. Another person would say, improve your eye contact. 
then you have to really figure out which one do you believe. So I, feedback is, 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 is I, I firmly believe in listening to all feedback that you get to, to get better because practice makes progress. But when it comes to when it comes to feedback, though, just, you know, take I won't say take it with a grain of salt, but there's going to be some that you implement and others that you don't just run it through your filters to see which one is which. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add on to that real quick as well along those lines, because, again, you know, I've had a, I've actually had a number of presentation trainings over the years. Not only that, what even if something maybe they're like, oh, improve this or improve that. But if it feels unnatural to you it will probably look unnatural. And and so there's some things you want to work on, but then there's some things that just this is your style. And if your style comes off as comfortable, a lot of times that will go a long way and almost overcome some of those things of the perfect presentation style. Yeah, I, I firmly agree with you, Aaron. I mean, we're all, we all have, our, we all should have our distinct style and not trying to sound like other people. I and mean, when I first started down my journey in becoming better at public speaking, I would look at a lot of the, I guess, the motivational speakers, you know, like, 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 like uh, Les Brown. And I thought, well, I need to sound like him, but then it just didn't match my personality. So I, it, it, was, it was something that I, I quickly abandoned and focused more on just becoming a better version of myself as opposed to a carbon copy of someone else. No, I think it's I think it's great stuff. So you know, give us a sense um, as, as you're working with with people. So you know, someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, Neil, I, I got to get better, but I don't really know where to start, or I don't know where to, to focus the best of my time." Like, what what's a you know how, how do you help them? What are some of the ways that, that you help folks, you know, get better, gain confidence, you know, be you know, learn some of these tips and tricks so that they don't have to to fall down in front of their peers, if you will. Well, I mean, that was the main basis for me starting or developing my course, Teach the Geek to Speak. I mean, it's a I geared it towards people like me. I mean, I, I from the struggles that I had as an engineer in, in communicating, especially with non-engineers and 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 more even more specifically decision makers. So there's that. But then I saw I, I got the earlier this year, I came to the revelation that perhaps just one one off course wasn't enough. So I'm currently developing a membership which will offer ongoing support to people who see the benefit in improving their communication skills or presentation skills. And it's going to be, well, it is called Teach the Geek to Speak Society. But so it includes the the course in, in the society, but then also ongoing support in terms of a community that you can access, you know, on an ongoing basis. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's good. You know, I think more and more as, as Aaron and I, you know, learn about ways that people are learning these days, you know, when we, when we got started, a lot of it was, you know, what was nearby to you, what was, you know, you get access to physical equipment if you were trying to learn technology. And sometimes it was, you know, the, the people and the personalities around you. It's, it's awesome nowadays that, that we're able to create these online communities, that we have things like YouTube, that, we, you know, it's easy to to get access and use like the video on your phone and, and be able to, you know, video yourself, record yourself before that was, you know, thousands of dollars. So yeah, it's awesome to see, you know, people building upon the flexibility of, of tools, whether it's cloud tools or mobile tools and so forth. And, um, no, that, that's awesome. G- give us, you know, before we wrap up, uh, you know, just kind of give us a story. What, what have you found, you know, as, as you work with people or, you, you know, even just your own journey, like, how do, how do you kind of measure yourself in terms of from that that first one you gave where you were you know sweating through your shirt and you were normal uh, you know freaking out to to kind of you know you felt like you got a little better to maybe where you are today like 
give folks some sense of you know how, like what would what might their journey look like or you know how do they how do they know if they're getting better or how do you help them get better? Well, less sweating certainly helps. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's that's one thing. I'm not sweating through my shirts all all the way anymore. Although I will say that nervousness never goes away when you when you you do public speaking. But I see that as a, a form of you just caring about what you're talking about. And, and caring that the the people actually get what you're saying. I, I, that's what I see nervousness as. So yeah, I don't see it as, as something to be avoided. But when it comes to just the, I guess, the, the journey of, of, of getting better, it's just becoming more comfortable doing it. You know, when you first start it, it's going to, it's going to be uncomfortable and, and that's okay. It's, it's only, you can only get up from there, but it, it only happens when you practice. So I mean, I mentioned, you know, Toastmasters being an excellent way, you know, this, this new, society that I'm building up, we could be an excellent way as well. It's just, you know, sticking with it. And just like in anything in life, I mean, you could do all the, you can read all the books or listen to all the podcasts about public speaking all you want, but until you actually do it and, you know, over and over again, you're not going to get better at it. Well, and I think you, I think you highlighted a really important thing for people to remember is that, um, you know, number one, y- you have to be willing to get some feedback from people. Um, however, you go about doing it, you know, put a video online, ask your friends, you know, even stand in front of a mirror. Uh, but you know, like you said, you, you you also have to you know kind of figure out how do I sort through feedback that I think is is trying to help me, and then feedback that that I can ignore because everybody's going to have opinions. You need to learn how to sometimes build up a tough skin and, and ignore some stuff as well as go, hey, you know, like you said, that, that's not going to be right for my personality, right? I need to, to fit my thing. So I, I think uh, I think that's really, really important too. Another big takeaway to have. Absolutely. Well, good. I, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Um, you know, we could obviously dive into a ton of things, but uh, the nice thing is we put some things in the show notes. You've got, uh, you know, a lot of tips and tricks on, on YouTube, um, out on your homepage, as well as a podcast that you host as well. So, um, you know, this is great. You know, you, you came to us and you said, hey, look, I, I really help uh, folks in, in all, di- you know, sort of dimensions of STEM. Um, obviously, we've got engineers, but, you know, I know we've got folks that are in marketing, that are in finance, that are in uh, leadership positions. I think, you know, what you're talking about is is important kind of regardless of, of what role you're in so we're really appreciative that you came on and and gave us some insight and folks uh you know go check out the stuff that, that neil's been working on it's uh, it's very very interesting and again anytime uh, it's based on you know real life living with this stuff and then trying to figure out a system to make it better it's you know it always comes from a, from a good place so uh neil i'm going to wrap up with that any last thoughts uh, just ways for folks to engage with you or you know kind of the best way for folks to uh to pick your brain Oh, yeah, sure. So you can go to teachthegeek.com. If you care to check out the podcast, it's youtube.teachthegeek.com. And again, when it comes to public speaking or anything in life, practice makes progress. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, we will uh, have all those things in the show notes for folks as, uh, as you're following up on this. Neil, again, thank you so much for the time. Aaron, it's been uh, great to kind of you know, pick his brain, share some stories. Hopefully, you know, this helps some folks. And again, you know, as we always say, if you have questions, if you got comments, if there's things that we can help you with, uh, show at thecloudcast.net. Um, great place to give feedback. So with that, we're going to wrap up and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 